Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, WBGO's John Kalish has the story of writer and activist William Electric Black. Mr. William Electric Black has a proven track record with his advocacy for public health and well-being and wellness. We'll hear about a special concert from Sweet Honey and the Rock coming up on Juneteenth with all proceeds to benefit Harlem Mothers Save in its fight to end gun violence. For people to learn that there's another way to be in the world that doesn't require a gun and a holster and, you know, uh, really attacking people. And WBGO's Gary Walker chats with saxophonist Antonio Hart, who leads the Queen's Jazz Orchestra in Bird Flight on June 17th at Flushing Town Hall. Well, that's just playing with Master Heath and his big band, and, you know, it's playing with the Dizzy Gillespie Alumni Orchestra. It's like the family continued in Queens. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. William Electric Black spent 10 years as a writer on Sesame Street, where he demonstrated his ability to write scripts as well as lyrics for such guests as Queen Latifah, Erica Badu, and Arrested Development. Now take that pride where it could do good. Spread it all around in your own neighborhood. Give where you live, it's best when you share. Just another way to show that you care. The sidewalk, the street, the parks, and the schools. Everywhere you go, you gotta let pride rule. Feel it in your heart, cause you know it's true. Over the years, William Electric Black's name has not been that familiar outside the East Village theater scene. But that has changed in recent years. People in education and law enforcement who are trying to teach children about gun violence are coming to know the name William Electric Black well. WBGO's John Kalish reports. His colleagues in theater, television, and academia simply call him Electric. After spending a decade as a writer on Sesame Street, he wrote and directed a series of five plays about gun violence. Electric also wrote three picture books about guns for pre-K kids that were illustrated by a former Sesame Street colleague. You need to start when they're three and four. Because by the time middle school, they're thinking about a gun and getting a gun. Or i got to get a gun to protect myself from the other kids that have guns. This is the time to now go in and talk to them and get them to see there's another way. Because of his experience on Sesame Street and producing educational videos, Electric has been working with an NYPD official and teachers in East Harlem to create a small pilot program at an elementary school for the upcoming school year. Christy Dela Cruz is superintendent of the school district. Mr. William Electric Black has a proven track record with his advocacy for public health and well-being and wellness. He's somebody who is also deeply committed to serving the community. It's not just like he's coming in with ideas. He really wants to co-create lessons and something innovative in collaboration with the community. Electric has spent most of his creative energy writing and directing live theater. In his play, The Faculty Room, two girls on a high school basketball team are beefing. A lockdown is ordered after one of the girls brings a gun to school. She can't be in here. And I can't be out there either. Rayleigh's looking for me and she's got a damn gun. Language, please. This is the faculty room. She has to go. The police are sweeping the school. I seen them. One room at a time. I don't care. Take her outside, and I mean now. Throughout the gun plays, I've sprinkled in, whether it's reference to Sandy Hook or Columbine or Florida, all these different ones that have happened, they just keep happening. 
When real-world shootings took place during the performances, Electric would make last-minute tweaks to the script. After all of the performances, there were talkbacks in which the playwright engaged with audiences. Veteran screenwriter and playwright Richard Wesley has seen several of the plays and considers these talkbacks part of the theatrical experience. In addition to the communal experience of being in a theater watching a play live, everyone now is talking about what the play means, but whatever that conversation is, that becomes its own theatrical experience. Wesley hired Electric to teach at NYU's Department of Dramatic Writing. He admires Electric's ability to juggle full-time teaching with his own creative projects. So does Crystal Field, artistic director of the Theater for the New City, where many of Electric's plays have been staged. Electric is energy. (laughs) He is electric. It's a God-given energy that he has. Electric is working on yet another play about guns, tentatively titled The Gun Room. Maybe there's a group of people in this room tallying up how many guns are in America. They don't care how many kids get killed or old people, young people, or a kid in the Bronx. They're in a room just saying, so what? Did we sell any more of those guns? Last week, William Electric Black was at City Hall for a rally on gun violence, giving out copies of his picture book, A Gun Is Not Fun. Later that day, he watched the president's address on TV. You know, the president said, do something. That's me. I'm devastated by what's happening, but you can't let that choke you and do nothing. That just makes me want to do more. For the WBGO Journal... I'm John Kalish. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes, sometimes I feel, I feel, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. A special concert fundraiser is coming up Juneteenth. That's June 19th, Sunday, and it will be taking place at Adler Hall at the New York Society for Ethical Culture. And that's at 2 West 64th Street. Celebrate Juneteenth with this performance by the Grammy Award-winning African-American female a cappella ensemble, Sweet Honey and the Rock. And we are joined by the co-founder of Sweet Honey and the Rock for today's session, and that happens to be Carol Maillard. Carol, great to see you. Oh, it's great to be seen. Hi, everybody. It's good to be here. Thank you. And she is sporting a hat that she bought in Newark more than 20 years ago, (laughs) which I adore. I love that hat. We are also joined by Dr. Nora (laughs) Rost, who is the leader of the New York Society for Ethical Culture. Dr. Rost, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Barbara Carlson is a board member of the New York Society for Ethical Culture. Barbara, tell us how this all came about. Well, I've been a member of the New York Society for Ethical Culture for about 10 years, and our mission is to do good things and to make the world a better place. Pretty, pretty uh, simple call and difficult call. 
right? So, so we believe in, in action and doing things. We also partner with various organizations that we would like to be able to support, particularly in our community. And the Harlem Mothers is one of those organizations. I'm familiar with Sweet Honey in the Rock because I, I uh, twice studied with Issei Barnwell who was one of the low voices. And, but, you know, I became familiar with her and the music and the group. And I'm just so moved and stirred. And every time that I hear the music. So I thought that this was a perfect place, a perfect pairing, this group, our society, Harlem Mothers. And it just seemed to make sense to bring everything together to do a beautiful New York concert on a special holiday and market at our society and bring all these wonderful influences together to make a difference in the world. So it is coming up on June 19th at four o'clock in the afternoon at Adler Hall at the New York Society for Ethical Culture. And the proceeds will benefit Harlem Mothers, Fathers Save, and their fight to end gun violence. When it comes to Sweet Honey and the Rock, being out there and talking about and having music about issues that matter, that has always been something that the ensemble educates, entertains, and empowers its audience. When it comes to ending gun violence and the program that we're about to see, Carol, what will the feel be like from Sweet Honey and the Rock for this special performance? Well, we're always trying to do uh, the three things that you mentioned to educate, entertain, and empower. And I think what we're, we're moving towards our 50th anniversary will take place next, uh, next fall. And we are really looking at what our music, the impact of our music on movements, on hearts, on uh, different situations that people have used our music to uh, I think uplift themselves and uplift their communities. So we're hoping, we're not even hoping. We know that this concert is going to be of great benefit to Harlem Mothers Save. It's a really difficult time right now. There's so much upheaval and so much change. And sometimes those things seem maybe detrimental to the spirit or the country or whatever, but change does often bring upheaval and God willing, this will be changed for the better. Uh, New York has just had really some really unfortunate incidents in the last, uh, I would say few years, but mostly the last few weeks has just been devastating. So whatever we can do to support and help raise funds to get education and get opportunities for young people to learn another way to be, for people to learn that there's another way to be in the world that doesn't require a gun and a holster and, you know, uh, really attacking people. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, we're, we're happy to be here. And what a beautiful way to express the message with this wonderful sound yeah. from this incredible group. Dr. Rost, when you think about the society has been really in the forefront in the community when it comes to ethical relationships, social justice, and environmental stewardship. This really is a beautiful partnership, isn't it? Absolutely. And um, and in particular for Harlem Mothers Save, we have uh, formed a special re a partnership with them in, in, uh, in coming alongside them in the good work that they're doing. And we told them 
early on, we didn't want to just be a bunch of white people writing them a check. We wanted to be in the struggle with them. Uh, has I myself have, have been uh, impacted by gun violence. My brother shot and killed himself with a gun he shouldn't have been able to buy. So this issue is very near and dear to my heart. And Jackie Will Adams and the moms and dads at Harlem Mother Saves, they share that pain. They've lost children to gun violence and we need to see it stop. And what better group than Sweet Honey and the Rock to, to bring that message with soul power and, and spirit and force. I first saw Sweet Honey in the very early 80s and have been a fan ever since. So I'm so thrilled and honored that they're partnering with us in this great fundraiser. And Dr. Ross, I would imagine that, so sorry to hear about what has happened uh, to your family, that when you just hear about any act of violence these days, it brings back a very difficult time for you. Absolutely, it does. And and to, to, to know that each of these deaths is so needless, so so unnecessary, uh, from from the easy accessibility to guns that led to this horrible massacre in, in Buffalo that we just experienced yeah. to random shootings on the subway or just a domestic dispute. Uh, women in particular are at much greater risk of being shot and killed by their partner uh, with, with guns. So it's, and it's needless. There's absolutely no reason why we should see this level of devastation. No other, no other country in the world experiences gun violence right. the degree that we do. In the Carol Myard, I w- wanted to ask you songs that you first performed. Yes. I would imagine that many of them are still as relevant today as they were when you first started singing them all those years ago. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you, we started back in 1973 and we were born out of the DC Black Repertory Theater Company. There was an uh, actor in the company that felt that the music that Bernie Johnson Regan uh, who was our vocal director, was teaching us, uh, was uh, just so powerful that he wanted us to be out in the community singing. So he said, Bernice, can we have an ensemble? So when she finally said, okay, I'll help you put the ensemble together, we were already in the midst of music as a social catalyst, music as a way to raise your voice in the civil rights movement, in the women's movement, the Chicano movement, all of the various movements that were happening in the mid-70s, early 70s, late 60s. All that music was a part of the theater, and it was also a part of our lives, how we were singing, what we wanted to talk about, using your voice to make change. And so the music that we were doing was basically coming out of our theater company, out of our spiritual experience growing up, out of uh, whatever revolutionary ideas we were, we were uh, uh, living at that point in time. So the music was always relevant to our individual lives as individuals, as women, and as a part of the Black community and our culture. Barbara, I wanted to ask you, you know, sometimes when so much violence has taken place and there's so much hate going on in this country right now, can a concert make a difference? But if we don't try and if we don't get the message out, we're just standing by and doing nothing, right? Yes, absolutely true. And we are trying to do something and also as a musician and as a teacher of music, I'm in my 45th year of teaching 
children and knowing the power of music to change lives, to change hearts, to change minds, and to uplift the community. This can only be a great thing. This can only be something that is powerful. In what way, we don't know. We'll find out. But the doing of it and and the making action is what's really important right now. Carol, we peg this to Juneteenth, but this concert could be held any day, really, because it is so important, (laughs) right? Yes, absolutely. When Sweet Honey does a concert, we could... We feel like we're having a conversation with the audience. So we want people, you know, they can talk back, they can dance, they can shout out of thought. You know, we may ask questions, we have them sing along. But uh, Juneteenth, this, we put, I think, some special elements in there to uh, deal with the theme. So some of the music that there'll be new music, there'll be music that people are very familiar with, the, 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 uh, theme is the struggle continues. A luta continua is the Portuguese uh, phrase. So we wanted to, we want to make sure that people know the struggle, it's nothing wrong with struggle. The little flower has to struggle to come up and be a beautiful blossom. The baby has to struggle to learn how to walk. Same with all of the, uh, all of nature. There's a uh, struggle to make it bloom into in just a beautiful, beautiful blossom. So we're really happy to just keep singing, making new music, coming up with new ideas. And like from that question you asked me before, I remember there were concerts when Bernice used to bring up a song and she used to say, we thought this was going to be a historical document mm-hmm. that we weren't going to have to sing this anymore. You know what I mean? And we yeah. weren't going to have to sing it, but it is as relevant today as it was 15 years ago when its song was created. So, yeah. yeah. And that's why you should be there on June 19th. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. At the New York Society for Ethical Culture, I want to thank not only Sweet Honey and the Rock's co-founder, Carol Maillard, but mm-hmm. also Dr. Nori Rost, the leader of the New York Society for Ethical Culture. And I also want to thank Barbara Carlson, who is the board member of the New York Society for Ethical Culture. Thanks so much for putting on this special and important concert, and we appreciate your time on the WBGO Journal. Thank you. you. Thanks for being there. We'll see you all there. You can see the entire interview about the Juneteenth event on the WBGO Facebook page. On June 17th at Flushing Town Hall in Queens, saxophonist Antonio Hart leads the Queens Jazz Orchestra in Bird Flight, honoring his longtime mentor, Master Jimmy Heath, and legendary broadcaster Phil Schaap. Antonio chatted recently with WBGO's Gary Walker about the event, including what Jimmy Heath has meant to him over the years. When was the first time you came in contact with Jimmy Heath? I met Master Heath when um, I came to graduate school at Queens College. You know, that was my purpose for coming to New York was to uh, get my master's, but to study with him. So our first meeting was in the in the building, the music building. Ah, uh, and this would have been 1991. And before that, you had already been making a name for yourself. I remember a night at the bottom line, I went down there to see... <laughs> to see you and Roy Hargrove and sitting over at the bar that night 
was Betty Carter. And I walked over to her. I said, hey, Betty, it's great to see you here. What brings you here tonight? And she looked at the stage and she said, I'm here to see the future of jazz. Wow. That's the first time I'm hearing that story. That's amazing. But that excitement that you two had when you were on stage, we were sitting there and we thought, God, this must have been what Bird and Diz went through because you were having such a fantastic time and the music was just burning. And I have a feeling that it was that kind of thing about you that took that mentor-mentee relationship with Jimmy Heath and took it to a new level, didn't it? Well, it was important for me, you know, after going to Berkeley, have some amazing teachers, but I wanted to be with somebody that I knew made a huge contribution to the the legacy, the the art form, and somebody that was still active in it. And um, when I saw Master Heath was at Queens College, that was a no-brainer, you know, and my objective was not only to have him as my professor to get close enough so I could have that, that connection of mentor-mentee. And, you know, over the, the next 30 years, it went from that to like father and son. And um, I feel really blessed to have that opportunity and to have had those experiences. I was just thinking, though, the other day, I wish I had asked more questions and 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 learned more. You know, um, it's, it's so much more I had to ask him and so much more I want to learn musically and just. But, but you know, I, I there's some lessons I'm just starting to understand now. And he's been gone for a couple of years, you know, so um, I feel very thankful. I bet you do, man. And you've always had a person like that in your life, whether it be uh, Chris Ford or Bill Pierce and then coming to New York, right? <laughs> yeah, my- coming to New York and you yeah. had uh, Master Jimmy Heath on board, moving from Queens College to the Queens Jazz Orchestra, which actually got its start and is co-produced by the folks at Flushing Town Hall. And that uh, explains why on June the 17th, it's all coming around together. First time in front of a live audience in a couple of years, too. How did you come involved with the Queen's Jazz Orchestra? Well, that's just playing with Master Heath and his big band. And, you know, I was playing with the Dizzy Gillespie Alumni Orchestra. So a lot of those players that are in the orchestra were members of one of those bands. So it's it's like the family continued in Queens. So um, whenever Master Heath asked me to be there, I was there. If I wasn't in town, you know, I I couldn't be there. But if I was in town, I was anywhere he asked me to be. Well, he founded that orchestra along with Clyde Bullard, you know, who's the jazz producer at Flushing and Town Hall. I used to run around with Clyde's daddy, CB. Right. Right, right. Oh, man, there was a spirit, man. <laughs> there was a spirit. But now, did you have an affiliation with Flushing Town Hall before the Queens Jazz Orchestra? I've played there a couple times with my band. I have played there a few times over the years before they um, had that performance space. We did concerts downstairs. And um, yeah, so that was pretty much it. They would come in, I would come in and play. And then we um, got together with Master Heath and some other bands that I played with, you know, over the years. Your debut conducting the Queens Jazz Orchestra. You a little nervous? Well, I've, I've conducted the band before. I mean, they they gave me this title. Is you know, I, I'm still getting my head around that actually, and and trying to figure out how I can grow in that position in terms of my writing and composition. So I'm, I'm actually excited about it. This first one, though, will be uh, 
again, honoring um, the great Phil Schaap and playing Master Heath's music. But as we grow, I would like to um, to introduce more of my compositions and, and guys in the band that, that are great writers as well. So we'll be opening that up a little bit and um, just continuing the, the legacy that Master Heath um, set for all of us. So that that's the exciting part to um, be pushed to grow, to push myself to, you know, get my writing better and um, just see where we go with it. Take it, you know, if we can go any further, his music is on such a high level. Let's see if we can reach his, uh, his ankles first. <laughs> yeah. You say that so casually, but you know, that's a pretty high bar up there, man. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. It's like, so you say you want to take it further. I, you know, that's, I don't know where that where that could be because his music is you know is timeless. It's it's on the highest level of art art artistic um, expression, and we were lucky enough to play it and and have him conduct it and give us that spirit. So I think we'll we'll we're going to continue with that. It was some things about Master Heath that were very infectious on the bandstand, not only through his music, just his his spirit, and hopefully that that will. Um, resonate in me as well those examples from master heath and james moody and people like that and you know we all grow the the community continues to support us and we we all have a good time playing this music that was developed in this country that's our music so um i'm very excited with the challenge I'm, i am a little nervous with this responsibility um but that will make me work harder so i'm i'm thankful for the challenge we're talking with Antonio Hart. It's June the 17th. It's Flushing Town Hall, and the performance is called Bird Flight. It also honors one of my heroes. That would be longtime broadcaster Phil Schapp. We actually worked together for a while at WBGO, and he was kind of doing both things at the same time over at KCR and at right. BGO at the same time. But right. just, just amazing. And and uh, encyclopedic knowledge, not just about jazz music, but I mean, you sit down and you talk to the cat about sports. He was the same way, and I'm sure that you know he and Jimmy had an affinity for one another because they both had a love of sports as well. Yeah, that that was something that myself and Master Heath did not share because I'm not a sports <laughs> I'm not a sports guy on any level. Um, my, my thing is martial arts, but um, I would sit at, at his house and I would watch sports with him, um, baseball and basketball primarily. I did enjoy basketball, but I couldn't tell you who the players were. I couldn't tell you what the strategies were. I just I just was hanging out with Master Heath. And it, it would be fun because uh, the phone would ring constantly and, and it would be somebody like, say, like, you know, a guy named Barry Harris or Benny Carter or, you know, um, and the guy that called all the time was Master Sonny Rollins, you know, and I would be sitting there and I'm like, he's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm sitting over here with Antonio. And I'm like, who are you talking to, Master? He's Sonny Rollins. And I'm like, oh my God, he's in there, you know, and they're just, they're just talking, man. And, and some of the things they talked about, they talked about music, but they talked about history and and Sugar Hill and Max Schmeling and Joe Lewis. I mean, it, it was the gamut of conversation, but what I got from those, all the conversations that I had privy to hearing you could hear that they loved each other's individuals they always ask how's Mona doing how's the family you know that was the start of the conversation and, and music was a part of it too but it was just life and, and love for each other 
and and like I said, almost every time I was at the house, Sonny Rollins called, and that that was important to me, you know, to see the camaraderie, and and that's something we need to get back to in our generation. Like somebody that's really good at that is like Russell Malone. Russell will call me out of nowhere, at, "Hey Tony, how you doing?" You know, and I always appreciated that, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, but it I is just, it is a family affair. I highly recommend uh, Jimmy Heath's book, uh, "I Walked with Giants," because. Uh, it it is a historical traversing of his life, you know, from Nat Tolls all the way up, you yes. know, to uh, some yes. of the things that when he was doing there at the yeah, Queens College, you know, it's 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 in, the, it's in the book as well. But it's all centered around the family. Yes, yeah. Master Heath was really big on family. I mean, obviously, you know, his his beautiful wife, Mrs. Heath, was just here a couple of weeks ago. Um, his daughter Roz and Jeffrey that passed and then in Tume as well. And and his many grandkids and great grandkids, you know, um one of the, the last pictures that they took before Master Heath left us was he was he was there and the whole family was around him. It was, it's the most incredible picture you ever want to see. I mean everybody was there in Tume and and Tootie and Tootie's wife and you know Fa and Tume was still around and it was it was such a touching picture, you know, to for him to see his legacy in terms of family, you know, beyond the music. And, and they were all together with him in his last moments. It was it's touching when I look at it now. Our success is partly because of what you've done in supporting us and especially me, man, because you were there from the very beginning. So um, I'm glad I have an opportunity to say thank you to you. What you hear coming from me. Oh, well, thank you, man. Thank you very much. I remember. That's a, that's a blessing I'll live with, man. Saxophonist Antonio Hart speaking with WBGO's Gary Walker. Congratulations to Gary on his 40th anniversary at the world's greatest jazz station. You're the best, Gary. For more information on the June 17th event, you can go to flushingtownhall.org. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to WBGO 88.3 FM and WBGO.org.